On this episode of AV Week, we take a pause from the news and information and we take a look at race and race relations in the AV industry. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 459, recorded Friday, June 5th, 2020. Race and the AV industry. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer. AV Beyond the Box, and by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions, and by Atlona, who invite you to think outside the booth and join them for Atlona Com 20, a virtual trade show event opening today and continuing all June at atlonacom.atlona.com. This is AV Week, uh, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Typically, uh, we would wrap up uh, the week's information and the week's audiovisual news. Uh, honestly, uh, we will give you links to bo- go to places, including our website. There are several places you can go get uh, to find out who bought who uh, and who has what coming up. Uh, but this week, we're going to tackle a different issue uh, in the industry, race relations and the AV industry. On May 25th, George Floyd, an unarmed Minneapolis African-American, was killed while in police custody. Since then, protests have taken place across the country and honestly around the world. There have also been instances of police aggression with uh, uh, protesters looting as well in some places and areas. National Guard and the U.S. military have been deployed at various locations. I have my own personal opinions about uh, the use of military force. And if you would like to have me go rant on something, you can call me later. This has brought the conversation of race and racism and the treatment of people of color, both here in the States as well as globally, to the forefront and also, again, to the AV industry. So with me to talk about this issue, and I am humbled and I am thankful for their conversations this week and for their frankness this week. So first and foremost, Charmaine Torella, ah, Torella, forget it, from Varex. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, also with us uh, is Giovanni Agramonte. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My buddy Chris Hope from the Loop Lab up in Boston. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. From across the pond, Ifat Chaudhry from CDEC. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, from our own hallowed halls, uh, my buddy and pal, and the woman that makes me sound smart every time I write something stupid, uh, is Lenore and Lane, uh, Aviation's editor-in-chief. Welcome, ma'am. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And I want to point out, this is the first time that, uh, that uh, Lenore has joined me on camera, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, and last but not least, uh, Mr. Dave Lubuska, CEO of Vixa. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So let's, let, let's kick it off a little bit. And, and I, there's no right way to start this, okay? I'm just going to be flat out honest, and, and I'm, I may be as raw and as real as you guys have ever seen me. I could start with the panel and give you guys the platform and then Dave at the end and I, he and I could have a conversation. I could start with Dave. That'd be fine. Uh, he's the head of a VIXA. Very, very big organization that, that, in, in, that impacts this industry. Do you start with the white guys or do you end with the white guys? That's, <laughs> and, and there is no easy way to do this. So I am going to ask Dave a question first before we get started. But... As with any of my programs, what I have said before is the best ones of these are ones where I don't talk a whole lot. So please, 
interject, comment, give me, give me everything you've got. Um, there's some conversations that I've had this week, both with, with Lenore and, and Charmaine that I'm very thankful for. And I'll, I'll, I will intersperse them. And I, if I don't get to them, I will say them at the end. But I have learned uh, an awful lot. Uh, and, and I thought I knew, uh, I, I thought I had learned something in my 46 years. And, and this last week, I've learned even more. So I am thankful for those conversations. So the first question uh, that I'll start with, um, and Dave, this is, they'll start with you, but we'll get everybody else on this as well. Avixa is a trade organization, right? Um, what can organizations, whether it's Avixa or it's, it's, it's Cedia or whoever else, what can organizations do to address the issue of racism and race relations within their industry, but also within their, their communities? Thanks, Tim. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's been a difficult week for me too. And, and I try to reflect on the fact that it's, it's a difficult week for me, but not a difficult life for me. Um, and that um, this is a conversation of this week um, or these last couple weeks that we need to have more. Um, the, I've, I've spent a lot of time over the years actually trying to figure out what can an industry association or more specifically, what can the industry association that I'm the CEO of do to confront these issues? Um, I also have a background, as you mentioned, of technology and coding and stuff. So I tend to try in my head to break complicated problems down into small pieces. Um, that's probably impossible with this problem, but I've got two really big pieces that I have in my head when I start thinking about this problem. And one is systemic racism and the other is unconscious slash implicit bias. Uh, whatever the appropriate phrase is. So one is societal and structural, and one is individual people and how people interact with each other. If you, if you start with that one, um, that's what associations are about, right? At our soul, at our core, it's about bringing people together and having conversation. And it's, it's a lot harder to have implicit bias and unconscious bias if you just actually talk to people that are different than you. And at everything that we do as an association is about bringing people together. What we have to do directly is make sure or, or work to bringing more people of different backgrounds together um, and, and being a catalyst for those conversations and those connections. Um, we can never do enough of that. Uh, I think we've worked hard at it. Um, that doesn't excuse us and get us to say, okay, check, we're done. We established a diversity council. Good, that's it. We've got, we've got that box covered. I think, I think putting those types of gathering places, whether they're online or in place in reality, um, allows a conversation to start. And then that conversation can inform further conversations and people can get, we, we can't solve implicit bias, but we can, we can contribute to people connecting with each other, learning from each other, as you talked about at the outset here, and recognizing their faults, learning where they've made assumptions that are wrong, and 
moving forward from that point. Yeah. Charmaine, one of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain is the, the, the greatest cure to racism is travel. And I'm not saying that, uh, that everybody should, you know, get on a plane today or tomorrow. Uh, but it, the, the idea there is to, like Dave said, is to find out what other people are like, right? And to have those experiences. Yeah. Is, is that something that, that an organization can help with? Is that, like Dave said, is bringing people together or, or is, it, is, there, is there something else that not necessarily organization, that a, an official organization, but us as industry people can do where we go out and we purposely go out and look for people who don't look like us? The answer is yes. I mean, here is the issue as it stands today with diversity in AV, right? I've been in the technology business for over 20 years, and I just discovered today that I'm older than Tim Albright. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, I said, I didn't know. She, she don't look it, let's just put it that way. Well, black don't crack, so. <laughs> <laughs> But I um, <laughs> found out I was older and I said, you know, for 20 years in a technology sector and I've come from I telecom and IT into AV 10 years ago, the issues that I experienced, the adversity towards diversity here in the AV industry is more because the industry is comfortable. It's a holistic industry that's grown by mom and pop shops who are just comfortable with hiring the people they know right? The people that worked with as roadies as the industry started, right? Started with a bunch of roadies that, you know, would go on tour with bands and set up the sound, the gear, everything, or people that came from the military and were engineers and that aspect of life and came in and they started, helped to start this industry. And for a long time, holistically, they hired people they worked with, they were on the road with, they hired, you know, it was a family affair. So the family got involved and they, siloed themselves in and never looked out. And in not looking out, they missed out on a lot of the diverse talent uh, that actually had the ability to propel their businesses much further. Because fast forward to today, you know, a lot of the diverse AV workers are on the client side because they couldn't get satisfaction on the AV side. And a lot of those people went to okay, I'm going to go to the client side because they appreciate me there and my diversity and they have a diversity plan and initiative and I get paid more and I get stock options and, you know, screw AV. Bye. And I'm gone there or I'm going to the manufacturer's side where it's the same, right? And they're not coming back and they now are in the seat to make decisions as to whether they're going to work with you or not. So what we have to do is we have to start outreaching. Uh, the outreach in the AV industry with the dominant group, which typically, usually is older white men are the dominant group in our industry, have to now take the mantle of looking up ways to implement strategies. Sometimes it's a plan, but really what we have to do is have a cultural shift in the AV industry to make diversity a thing that's positive because you can do it a couple of ways. Like I told people with this council, we started two years ago, the Avixa Diversity Council. It's a start, but you have to decide. We, you know, I live in the 14th district, which my Congresswoman is AOC, right? And I do some volunteer work and I do other volunteer work. I've been doing this all my life. And 
when you do a, a cultural a diversity plan or program, it's either one of compliance, or you mandate people to do it, one of publicity and marketing, which is only for the purposes of elevating your organization through diversity, or one of cultural shift in which you're trying to influence a change. So what the AV industry has to do is do one of cultural shift in implementing positive actions, events, programs, trainings, educations, and outreach in order to help shift it. Because you can't force it in our industry. It's not gonna be one of compliance. And marketing, it just doesn't mean anything and you further disenfranchise uh, minority workers and they say, okay, we'll go to the client side, we'll leave this industry, or we'll go to IT, they'll take us. And that's what's happening right now. Chris, talk about for a second about you. You went to Integrated Systems Europe this year, um, and as, as as luck would have it, the only AV trade show that it, it, we got to do in person. Infocom is doing it in uh, virtually. Uh, Cedia announced that they are canceling or they've canceled. I'm not quite sure what they're doing yet. Um, and that was not a slam the buskis. It was it was just an acknowledgement. Um, Paying for that, huh? <laughs> um, but you were able to to not only have a platform, but you guys were able to have a really great conversation about um, not just diversity, but also the outreach that not just Loop Lab is doing, but also what other people are doing. Talk about that for a second. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that I will add, because Charmaine made some really strong points, um, diversity is really critical. You know, and we talk, in, in that um, conference, I actually talked a lot about representation. And, and representation as in diversity. So one way that corporations or companies can really contribute there is, for example, creating tutorials on pro-AV items or pro-AV um, tutorials on how to like, for example, properly um, you know, uncable other things that are really critical for people that are really interested in the field, but want to learn more. And having more diverse people kind of doing that work. I would say though, when we're talking about the situation that's happening nationally and locally with the protests, uh, diversity isn't really, it's just one part of it. Um, racial justice is not diversity, right? Diversity means variety. Uh, racial justice is not equality. Uh, equality is just sameness. Really at the root of what we're dealing with here is equity, uh, fairness, justice. And for us at the Loop Lab, we are really centered in the principle that all people are deserving of liberty, justice, and dignified labor, that they have the ability and should have the access for, to dignified labor. Um, if they, they, they work hard and they really want to pursue pro-AV as a career choice, they should have access to do so. And I think that in, what's really happening is a tender has been lit in this country um, where you have many, many people that are protesting, folks are upset. My concern is when all the noise dies down, are these conversations still going to be happening? Is this dialogue still going to be happening? Uh, you, know, the, you know, we were doing equity work at the Loop Lab before there was hashtags about the recent protests. And so I, I just, I think that there's a way for companies to really get involved in an authentic way where they're not only promoting diversity through their hiring, promoting diversity through the outreach, which is again, creating videos that demonstrates that the Pro-AV is open and friendly and available to people from all kinds of backgrounds. In particular, I would wanna say also for black men 
uh, since we're talking about young black men and women that were recently murdered in nationwide as far as in the press. Because um, I do want to name that and I do want that, that to be a particular explicit naming of that. But I, th I think that in the, in the flip side, we have to really talk to C-level executives and what, why it's important to be proactive in making sure that their corporate environments are promoting and coming at it from a racial justice framework. And that can be done as simple as having people that get paid to do that kind of consultancy, to do trainings. And it, and it has to be constant. It has to be an investment. It has to be something that the co company says, we see the benefit in this and what it does to our employees. And the data has to demonstrate that, right? Like numbers don't lie. If you see over a period of time, the number of people of color that are employed not going up, and in fact, maybe decreasing in some places, then you can't say that you're really invested in racial justice and equity work. So I think there's a lot of work to be done as already been shared, um, but there are many ways that folks can get engaged and involved, particularly in the pro-AV space. And let's, let me jump on that part of it too, because I had this, we had this conversation, right, David, a few weeks ago, that the other organizations that you mentioned uh, who, have an, who have invested in diversity and justice and diversity, they invest millions of dollars annually in having a diversity officer, diversity plan, and programs all year round to have staff resources to develop and maintain those plans. Unfortunately, in the AV industry, depending on the organization, they don't have that luxury, right? They don't have that kind of capital to make that investment. So right. it goes back to, you know, organizations like Avixa, you know, how do you become the beacon, right? The guide, the guiding light to these organizations? Because the truth is, AV, we don't have that luxury. Most integrators, small, medium size, don't. Maybe the major big ones, they do. But for the most part, a lot of our organizations are not that big and don't have that capital, right? And don't have the capital to help with training workers in general, much less diverse workers that work for them. So that's, mm -hmm. another, that's another answer and a strategy we have to develop to how do you do that because other organizations make the investment. In AV, it's not so simple. Yeah. Giovanni, I want to bring this around to you for a second and, and feel free, the, the rest of you, to jump in on this. Um, this past Tuesday uh, on social media, there was something called Blackout Tuesday. And it's mm -hmm. where brands came out and they, they you changed your, your logo or uh, you didn't do any social media. We here at AV Nation participated in that. Um, and the, the, the thing that I've found the last couple of days in talking to people is it was a mixed bag at best, uh, as far as response, right? Um, when it comes to being somebody who you've grown up, you know, with a certain level of experience, and we'll talk about different, different types of, of, you know, um, how I grew up and, and, and how you grew up. And this is something that Charmaine, Charmaine and I had talked about earlier. Um, but what is something like that when it comes to a social media from a corporate standpoint, right? What does that say? Does it say anything? Does it say that they're being, um, um, they're, they're jumping on the bandwagon or they're being legitimate and, and honest? Um, or is it where the, the proof is in the pudding, like, like Charmaine and, and Chris said, if you're not hiring 
people of color, then and then you're just doing and jumping on a social media um, uh, you know, bandwagon. So one thing um, with the Blackout Tuesday, one of the things that it did is that it showed um, globally how many people are supporting the movement, whether or not some of the folks really are for the movement or they are for production of their company and promotion of their company. That's something that um, is up to that individual entity. We won't really know. But what I would say is that seeing the impact of so many um, black screens and so many people not using social media for the purpose of self-promotion on that day, it just, it just shows that whatever has been happening, the movements, the, 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 the push for the people of color to be recognized, it did show the world that that's a strong force to deal with. Um, and when I say a strong force to deal with, I mean that there are a lot of us that support and are a part of this, um, a part of this movement. I mean, a lot of the folks that have been um, out there protesting, a lot of them, they're not just blacks. You know, you have white kids that are there, you have Spanish kids, and it's just a young, nation now because they grew up in my opinion with the hip-hop culture they are connected and they understand the culture a little bit better than the folks that were here before that so whether a company is doing it for self-promotion we won't know but what will happen is that through time that's when we will know because as chris said the proof is going to be evident in the numbers how many people have they really hired me myself I've been an advocate for training and developing whomever needs to learn. And that's what I've done with myself. I've trained people, all types of people, male, female, color, it doesn't matter. But that's the position that I put, put myself on because I did see what Chris said. There weren't many people that looked like me teaching. And by me teaching, what that actually did was that it, it created a certain comfort level where I was able to attract a lot of these folks that felt that they didn't have an in into this industry. So it's up to the individual company and the numbers will show through time. Yeah. And it, there is something about that I've learned over the last two years about representation, right. And the importance of representation, something, and, and, and that's something I didn't understand as a white guy. Right. And, and I, I will say this a thousand times over. There are things that I don't know what I don't know. All right. Mm -hmm. Being growing up the way I did being who I am right? I am a straight white male in the smack dab middle of the country, right? I've said it before. I'm a big, fat, dumb American. And, but I, I will at least acknowledge the fact that I, there are things that I don't know. Lenore, and, and if I want to bring you in on, on this, um, Lenore and I had a conversation, like I said, when I first decided to do this this week. And um, something that she said reminded me of, of a television show called Adam Runs Everything. If you're not familiar with what this show is, it, this is a, a comedian. He goes in and goes, everything you know about a certain subject is wrong. And here's the, the stats and, the, and the, um, the reports to show it. And he did one on racism. And he did one. He, he, he you know, shone the light on redlining back in the 30s and the 40s. And he did one on... Um, how gun control laws by and large are, are targeted towards African-Americans and, and people of color in it. The, the, one of the characters was an African-American woman and she made the comment. She said, it's not my job to tell white people they're, they're, they're dumbass racist problems. And she's not wrong. 
Okay, let's let's state that. Lenore said this is a white person problem, and it is, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the majority race in the United States is white. That's just that's a fact, right? There's nothing, there's nothing to debate there. That means that the majority will vote in the, the certain types of people. We have to decide, we have to change, we have to acknowledge the fact that there is a systemic system in place that treats people of color differently, right? Mm -hmm. When I grew up and I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I was not afraid to get pulled over by the police. I mean, I was a little bit because I was 16 years old, right? But I didn't have the same level of fear as Kristen, right? I didn't have the same level of fear as Giovanni. I've never known that, right? Um, so we have to acknowledge the fact that we don't understand. Lenore and Ifat, you guys have a little bit different um, um, experiences, both being people of color, but also living outside of the United States. Uh, Lenore, I'll start with you on this. It, it's you, you were born and raised in, in Barbados, but you've lived all over the place. Talk for a second about not just race relations here in the States, but also you know, other places you've lived. Well, I have to say that as someone who came into the tech industry to a television B2B uh, magazine, that racism has actually defined my career. And I'll be very honest, I've spent, I think, several moments in the last 10 years wanting to leave AV because as a journalist, as a Black journalist, it's not been fun for me. Um, my first gig was with a very well-known television magazine that refused to promote me for three years as an editorial assistant. And it wasn't until I went to HR and said, hey, I've done all this work. They keep telling me I'm not a team player. <laughs> um, I haven't done enough work to be promoted. Meanwhile, a series of white women came through as editorial assistants and were promoted to editors that I was promoted. I promptly quit after that. I wanted to make a point. Um, I moved to the UK and I, I found things to be a little bit better on the journalism side for this industry. I was promoted immediately. <laughs> I, I lived in London for a long time and that experience was actually very positive. Um, Barbados is Barbados. <laughs> uh, but most of my experiences have been in the US. Most of my uh, tense race encounters have been in the US and within this industry. Um, I'm almost at a loss for words. I've been really tense this morning coming to this discussion because one part of dealing with this is acknowledging that I don't think those of us in the industry who are of color have called people out enough <laughs> for the nonsense <laughs> that they do. And, and that goes for hiring, that goes for how they speak to us, that goes to how they pay us. Um, and if you hear me getting upset, it's because it is upsetting to me. Um, I think I've been quiet a long time about it. And it's because I felt powerless. And I think in this moment, um, with Tim coming to me and saying, hey, can we have this conversation? I told him what I told him because I am tired. It's not on me anymore. We've been spat on, we've been kicked, dogs have been set on us, we're being beaten on live TV. It is up to the system 
to fix this. Black people have been screaming for this for a long time. And in a, in a microcosm of AV, you know, we keep, we have diversity councils, but we're not doing enough. We have, it's beyond conversation. What actionable things are we gonna do on both sides, on the integrator side, on the manufacturing side, on the journalism side? I'm always the only black editor anywhere <laughs> in this industry. You know, what are we gonna do to fix that? What actionable things are we gonna do to fix that? If that same question is, is what has been your experience, both from the, your work for an integrator in London, um, both from a woman's standpoint, but also a person of color? I think, um, firstly, thank you for involving me and I'm, I'm happy to present, uh, to represent uh, England and the UK. Um, I think we have it slightly easier than, than America, but I also think it's a lot more subtle I think um, there's a lot of passive aggression that uh, that happens in the UK. Um, and Lenore, I don't know if you would have seen that in London. People are very polite. So, um, and we grew up, and I think part of our issue, and exactly what you said, Lenore, um, I remember my mum, I remember being a child and walking in the street and actually a, um, I don't know if you can relate to a white skinhead. So um, had the swastika on his jacket he was carrying some shopping and he took out potatoes and was throwing potatoes at, at, at my mum and, and at me. And I didn't understand it. And my mum absolutely said to me, when we get home, you're not to say anything to anybody. Don't say anything to your dad. And we didn't talk about it. We put up. And, and that's the culture that, you know, that actually it, it, it almost made it, well, you've got to put up with that because you don't look the same or that you're not the same colour. And it's, and I think people, you're exactly right. Everyone's had enough. Um, I'm really fortunate where I work. I did go through something uh, in the workplace, but my boss was absolutely amazing. Um, she's one of the only uh, MDs in AV as a female MD. So she gets enough um, uh, <laughs> abuse, if you like, for being, being female and, and, and managing. Um, but she absolutely called it and, and dealt with it really, really well. And I think the difference is, and we're just a small company, if you care about the people that work for you and you take an interest and you actually say, okay, how are you doing? What would make it better? And, and I'm all for um, it not being about your race, your age, your disability, your it's nothing. It, if you have that approach, if you can start as an employer or as a line manager thinking, okay, what would make my, this person, what would work for you? Does this environment work for you? Does this workspace work for you? Even down to technology. Um, that's where you'll start to see real difference and it's no longer lip service and it's not about exactly what you said, the annual appraisal or um, your quality certification or showing that you've attended. I think, Tim, you, you were at a, a diversity event in London um, last year and, and we had the conversation there. It has to be um, twofold. So one is that and the other is representation. We work with a lot of education sector and I'm, I'm a teacher um, originally. And even in the education sector, you will not really see many black people rise to higher management middle management yes you'll see people um so i'm obviously indian subcontinent um, background um 
we get a slightly easier time than blacks, funnily enough. I don't know. And I've never understood why, but we get a slightly better time. And whether that's something to do with, um, uh, you know, I don't know whether it relates to the Commonwealth days, the British empire days, you know, I, I, I think about whether, whether that's where it comes from. Um, but you will not see many people of color in higher management actually able to contribute to policy to um, to actually drive any kind of initiative and you you touched on something before about saying it, it it's the white person's problem and I heard this I can't, I'm trying to think where I heard it somebody actually said well it was the white people who enslaved the blacks so yeah it is a white person's problem to solve they didn't ask for this um, black people didn't ask for this treatment didn't deserve it haven't done anything to to be treated differently um, unless people start seeing each other as human beings of value and actually being able to say, yep, you're really good at this and, and have that impartial impartiality, things won't change. All right. So how do we get there? I think one of the steps is um, we need to acknowledge and recognize the history of how things got to the way they got to. And I say that because um, I was watching something about Germany and the school system out there. And a lot of the young kids, they are educated on the history of the Holocaust. And the reason, and these are young children. And one of the reasons they do that is because now with these kids knowing what happened, they'll have a little bit more empathy and compassion and hopefully through this process, you don't repeat it. So one of the things we need to do is acknowledge what has been done, acknowledge that things are the way they are because someone started that, acknowledge who started that, and it needs to be put on blast. It needs to be part of the curriculum. When I was a kid and I was in elementary school, I didn't know as much as my daughter, who's five years old now. She's, she's learning about Rosa Parks at five years old and she knows she's like wow dad you know white people didn't treat black people good so my daughter at five years old she knows what i didn't know what i learned later in junior high school or something like that so it's part of education it's part of acknowledgement it's part of validating the folks that have suffered validating their feelings like yeah you're in this situation because this was done to you and once we start through that process of validation acceptance, acknowledging, things will start to, to, to change slowly because that's, what, that's all it is. And a lot of the people, I would say this, black people are probably the most tolerant people on the planet. You know, they've been through so much, go through so much. And just because you may see a couple that get advertised doing negative things, that's not how they all are. What happens is that it just looks good to show the few looking like that to keep perpetuating and keep spinning the narrative that these people are this and that way. That's all that is, you know, redlining is still in place in many places, you know, and that's, and you know, all of that was set in place because you didn't want your neighbor to look like that. You know, if black people move into certain neighborhoods, it's like the value of that neighborhood is going to drop because they're here. See me, I'm brown skin, I'm black, right? But I speak Spanish. So I have a privilege that a lot of African-Americans don't, don't have. So me, just with the fact that I can speak Spanish, 
that already makes me privileged over a lot of them. Because now if something goes sideways, I have a place to lean on. I can go to any Caribbean country. I could go to a Spanish-speaking country and navigate without a problem. But a lot of these people don't have that. Their history is this history. They don't know anything else, you know? And it's, it's sad because I have a friend from Africa. He, he always goes back to Africa. He has a place to go to. And he's, he's darker than most African-Americans, you know? But he has a place to go back to. These people here, they don't have the same luxury. So acknowledgement, validation, accountability for what happened. And just through that process, we'll find the answer. There's not just one answer because there's been so much pain and generational pain for hundreds of years. You can't fix that overnight. Jail systems, all of this stuff, all of these policies that have been put in place to keep people like that impoverished, that's no joke. You don't just flick a switch and fix that. That's something that's gonna take a process. But as long as people like yourself are having this conversation, bringing people like us into these conversations, now you get to look at yourself, you get to look at others, and then it starts to open up slowly. It's yeah, a process. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of interject a little bit, okay? Right. And here's where I sit. So Cuban and Jamaican, mm -hmm. Jamaican father. So London, the diversity issues, yeah, I, and Canada live there. I do have an idea of the, what I've been through and why we kept coming back to the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. We've had many conversations for how I lived almost half a century and there's been conversations and blacks always having to manage and remanage themselves no matter what, no matter what we get and encounter. And we'll go bring it back to the AV community, right? Cause we, I like I tell my counsel all the time, start small in order to start getting things done. Cause the, it's a world of this. We're going to have to start and be micro-focused and start small. So it's conversations are one thing, but we've been doing that for many years to no avail. It's going to take steps. It's going to take steps. We're tired of talking. For the most part, everyone is now aware the issue. Mm -hmm. There's no, I wasn't aware, hiding. We're aware now. We're woken up. We're rubbing the coal out of our eyes. We know, everyone. Now we have to say, self, now that we know, the reality is facing us. What are the steps? So the steps, and that will start when you start factoring us in one. The steps are, how are you gonna change what you see as a disadvantage and do outreach to make sure you're changing it? What plan do you have? What's the step? Because a conversation is just that, a conversation. This is not the first time that Black lives have been disproportionately affected in our society, and it's not going to be the last. That is truth. It's not going to be the last time. It's not going to stop. But it's the first conversation Tim had about it. it. It's the first, well, I don't think it's the first conversation. That's what he, that's what he said. About it. Is it, Tim? This is the first time he talked about this like this. Absolutely. This is the first time that, that on this program that we have talked about race in, in the AV community. Absolutely it is. Yeah, on absolutely. the program, but in yeah. your life. Oh, no, absolutely not in my life. But even such, I've, I'm still learning. Um, and, 
you know, I, Charmaine and I had a conversation this morning on the phone and I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess, out myself, I guess the best way to put this. Um, so we've been doing this program for nine years and um, it'll be nine years in, in July. And, you know, Charmaine made the comment and, and you can, you can have Mitchell edit this out if this isn't proper, but um, somebody uh, asked Charmaine if, if, why she was coming on my program this week to, to be a token. Right. Um, and I got, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on a second. She goes, cause, cause you don't have people of color. You don't have black people on your show. And in, in typical, you know, old white guy fashion, my immediate reaction is in mentally, it's like, wait, wait, hold on air. You know, I, I, I have, I have people of color on my show, have them all the time. And the more that her and I are talking, the more my, the back of my brain's going and I'm, and I'm thinking here, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, so have you, right? Do you, I can name, I can name on one hand and the fact that I can name them first of all, and secondly, I can count them on one hand is an issue, right? Um, so Charmaine, I will, I will disagree with you slightly. No, I didn't know because I didn't think about it. Right. And it's not because of anything overt. It's not because I set out to make AV week an old white guy show. In fact, um, and this is not to toot our own horn, but about two or three years ago, we as a board and an ownership group said, you know what, there's not enough women voices in the AV industry and, and, and on, on programs like this. So we set out to include more. It was an active conscious effort, right? So now, hopefully, at least, uh, you know, that more often than not, you will hear at least one woman's voice. But during the conversation with Charmaine, I realized Again, not overtly, right? This was not an overt racist act, but it was a, 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 uh, a one that actually, you know, turned out to be somewhat racist. And the fact that I didn't have on, not for anything, any other reason, it's just I didn't think of it. So now, moving forward, we will, right? Um, as an organization and as a group, um, I will actively seek out uh, people of color for my programs. And... It's, it's, a, it's, it's not, how do I put this? It, it's not pandering. It's not anything, but it's giving voice. And I said, this, I said this to you all when I emailed you and asked you to be on my program. I don't have a big platform, but I have one, right? Uh, I will never sit here and I'll never be arrogant enough to think that AV Week or AV Nation is some big ginormous media conglomerate. We're not, right? We, we were, we're blessed enough to still make a living and we're able to hire great people like Lenore. Um, but we're not NBC, right? We're not Comcast. We're not, we're not, you know, uh, CNN, but I do have a platform and, and, and the, the things that I can do to help further those causes that, that I believe in, I think that are important. I'm going to, and things like giving people of color a voice in the industry, I think is important. And so I told Charmaine that, and I'm telling you that, right? That's something that we're going to actively do. So isn't it, uh, isn't it about intent, right? Yeah. I mean, so, is building on a lot of this conversation and, and, and I, I apologize if it was obvious, I dropped somehow or another, my router decided to reboot in the middle of this CNN interview. Um, that is it, Charmaine's not a token. Charmaine's the first step, right? If your intent is real and if, um, and, you know, uh, Blackout Tuesday is 
not a patronizing meme if your intent was to call awareness to an issue and support it. And then we build in that learning part that you keep talking about, that everybody keeps talking about, which is, well, we learned that our intent was good, but we were off. And so then we get better tomorrow and do something better on Wednesday than we did on Tuesday. Um, I think we need to ensure that these conversations take place because from those conversations, intent is born and from intent is where we learn and together take those steps. And I, I have as much trouble talking about this at times as you do, Tim, because I, you know, when this happens, the first, I love this part about this part of the world at this point is that our lives come into every meeting that we have. Um, the, I, I immediately go to how much of this is, how much of it is that I am the problem. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 challenge myself about how much of the problem is me and i think that there will always be a part of the problem that is me but i think the fact that that's my first reaction means that i've i'm learning i'm willing to learn i'm willing to to expand our efforts um I'm talking too much. I'll stop. Well, well, let me kind of get in because Dave and I, David and I actually had a meeting, right? A few weeks ago about this as it pertains to the missed opportunity in not opening up the doors to diversity, you know, for the AV industry and how we have to better work. It's a work in progress, right? And it's got to continue, but we have to, be more diligent application. It's all about application, okay? So we're gonna, it's collaboration and application. So yes, there are white guys out. I know Tim, when we talked today, yeah, you weren't aware until, and I said, I'm surprised no one pointed out to you that you haven't really had that many people of color on your broadcast. He's like, no, this is the first time. And so that's also on us and our community as well. Um, We are tired of talking, like I said before. However, there's a crack in the window and a crack. There's a crack that we have to start opening up a little bit wider. We we see the crack. We're here on the show. We see the crack. So we have to take the opportunity more to step through and talk to you and let you know what we need to see, what we need to have, how, and also not just tell you, but help you on how it can be done and show you and kind of help to, you know, collaborate together to pull that strategy and application along so we can actually make applications that we can apply to see results because that's what it's going to take. In, in the Diversity Council, the hardest thing and the biggest obstacle I have chairing the Diversity Council for Avixa and I know, Dave, you're, you're sweating a little bit. It's not really. Uh, <laughs> the biggest challenge is really getting the minority council members to actually come forward. And many people don't know that. They see the pretty of what we're achieving, what we can do. 
What they don't know is how hard it is to get a group of marginalized people who are used to being marginalized to really come forward and feel comfortable to talk about these issues and, and be a part of our events and plans and, and feel like they're good enough because for the purposes of this industry, they've been marginalized so much told that they weren't good enough. When this council started, I was told, oh, why do you need a council? If you have the expertise, then you should be able to get a job, right? I was told by uh, associates in the industry, well, you know, the reason why, you know, there's not enough diversity is because they're not experienced enough. <laughs> this is some of the things you hear as an AV worker of color. Oh, they're not experienced enough. I said, well, how would you know that? Oh, well, you know, I could see, I could tell, but how? I had a CEO, an integration company, a very large one at West Coast, tell me, well, because the, the talent's not there. I said, but how is your HR manager looking? Are they only fishing in this little ice hole? Or are they going to a big lake? And are they going to other areas and other different parts of the pond to get a different collection of fish? Because HR managers typically just hire what they know within their organization. Oh, I'm going to get a guy like Bob, and I'm just going to see if it's, this guy matches up to that. And that's not the right course of action in getting the talent that's diverse, that honestly could have another skill set that will bring your company way ahead of the other people you compete with every day. So that's, that's what, you know, it's hard on our end as minority workers because it's hard to step up again and get knocked down again. See, we're wary, we're shy. <laughs> and, I wanna just add to what you're saying, Charmaine, real yeah. quick. Um, yeah about intentionality and also this idea of, yes, you can hire African-American or, or people of color into your organization, but then you have to nurture them. You have to respect them. You have to mm -hmm. respect what they're bringing. You have to recognize that it may not be what you always get, but you might be getting more than what you're even mm -hmm. paying for and respect it. And I think for me on a personal level, the respect was never there. As one of the few black editors in AV, I do not get called to participate on panels. <laughs> I was really promoted at all the jobs I held. I was actively disrespected on many levels up to very recently um, mm -hmm. about me, about my level of work and how I'm just not, um, available enough you know to, to it the so yes hire us but respect us mm -hmm. and be um, our ally yeah and i mean i'm not here to, to to lift him up but um and i will tell you yesterday all on, on not yesterday but a few weeks ago i had a, a meeting with a client who wouldn't accept anything I was telling him. It was my lane, my presentation, unless my male counterpart said the same thing. And then it was a wonderful idea. And I wasn't mad at the customers because the customer is the customer. But who I was mad at were my male allies who just were complicit in, you know, not saying anything and laughing it off and making it okay. Be my ally. Don't make it okay. And you don't have to be so strong as, oh, you shouldn't do that. I mean, it's as simple as, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. It's a great idea. Just kind of like what Charmaine, you know, mentioned before. It's very subtle. Be my ally. You know, that it's that those little subtleties 
and will help to start turning and shifting everything around. And that's, mm -hmm. we need you to be our allies. And our mm -hmm. champions. Yeah, and, our champions. and actually celebrate the contribution that we make. Mm -hmm. Actively celebrate it, actively involve us. Charmaine, you talked about minorities not really wanting to participate on the diversity council. And I think you know why that, that happens. You did mention a few reasons. Um, but it's also a weariness. Well, this is just another chat box, right? This is just another thing that we're doing to say that they're diverse, which is my issue with the uh, Blackout Tuesday was I saw companies and I saw people who have actively... <laughs> disrespected people of color participating mm -hmm. that. And it was really hard for me to accept a company like L'Oreal talking about Black Lives Matter after what mm -hmm. they did to the trans Black model when she spoke out about racism against her in 2017 to be fired immediately by L'Oreal. And then for mm -hmm. them to come onto the Black Lives Matter in this situation and talk about they stand with us. I mean, it is important. I am glad that, you know, some companies participated in that, but it needs to go beyond black squares and we stand mm -hmm. with you. Are you investing in me, <laughs> in mm -hmm. people of color? Mm -hmm. Are you, when, when these things happen, are you an active investor in solving the problem is something that I don't see enough of within AV. Well, two, I believe two things are gonna be happening at the same time. And one is um, when you have progress or when you're going for progress, sometimes the system that's in place, somehow, some way, it has to be dismantled, right? But you can't destroy everything because people need to be a part of this working frame. Let's just call it that. So the thing about what's happening and with the Black Squares and L'Oreal, for example, this model, this happened 2017, right? Now we're in 2020. So now in 2020, a lot of people put in the black squares. Yes, some people, they're really about that movement. Other people, they're part of the bandwagon. At the end of the day, the fact that awareness is being created at some level, that level of awareness that's being created starts to create change, even with the people who are not aware or the people that are totally, totally against it. It's in their face. So it's almost like in order to have, it's kind of like the protest, right? So the protest, I would say 90 something percent of the protest is a peaceful movement. 90 something percent. Then you have the other few that jump in and are doing what they're doing. That's the minority. However, the promotion goes towards that minority because it just, it, it, it brings more attention for them to promote that little piece in order to keep ratings going. It's just the nature of how things work, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I do believe that on the course for progress, certain things will be falling apart, need to be restructured, but those two feelings can exist at the same time. I absolutely agree with that, but I just wanted to address this idea specifically with the L'Oreal example. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, they can put a black square. It is incredibly important that we call people out on bad behavior. You mm -hmm. participating is fine. It adds to the larger voice, but mm -hmm. you cannot get away with acting as though you were not a part of this system that's in place. Yeah. 
Well, it's, some people change. I do, I do agree that both things can exist at the same time, but it's also it's very important. Let's look at another example that's come up, and this is in Hollywood. All the Black actors that have come forward and said, you treated us like garbage on your shows. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your Black Square, but let's talk about what, how we're going to change what you have put in place for decades in your mm-hmm. system. I mean, this is applicable here. We can mm-hmm. still call it out, but we can also actively say, well, this is how you, I'm not just throwing anyone away. You know, throw, the, throw them all away. I'm not saying that. Right, right. What I am saying is you have to make people uncomfortable. Yes. Agree. And, yes. and also right in front of our face, the industry that's right in front of our face, not applicable to the AV media industry, but the general media industry has yeah. had issues. Um, one and two of the big ones in particular, they like broadcasting about this all day long. And at some point I serviced them in the IT world and I was very aware of their issues towards um, the inequities of black workers in their organizations. The media who's doing all the work, the general media, have a lot of issues. I mean, I'm glad they're, they're talking about it more, but honestly, fix your house, right? Fix your well, house. They're fixing their house because they're under attack now as well. Under the Trump administration, journalists are, are just is at war with this government as much as we are. Um, they're getting mm-hmm. rubber bullets in the eye. You know? Yeah, but they're at war for different reasons, of right? Course. Because he's putting them as a target. But what they're not doing, you know, if you look at the general media, how many people look like me have their own shows? How many years you've been around? How many people look like me that's giving my black in experience and position in the news that's reported that's going to bring out something different? There are very few and, and they don't have enough and you don't see enough correspondents that look like us there. Mm-hmm. We don't have, we have a big uh, stake in the stories that they report, but we don't have enough representation. So again, you got to fix your house before. Yeah, and, that, you, and that definitely goes back yes. to representation, which is what we, we had talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, thank you all so much. We were at the top of the hour and I'm, I'm going to be really, really conscious of all yours time. Um, but good Lord, thank you. Um, this has been a fantastic hour for me. Um, again, I've, I've had an incredible education this week. Um, and I will go back to, to Lenore and Charmaine and, and thank you both personally. Chris and, and Giovanni, I didn't, I didn't know you, but I, I appreciate you, you jumping in, uh, from Charmaine pulling you in, uh, if that, uh, as well. And Dave, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'll go around the horn. If you want to promote yourselves, promote your company, promote whatever it is you're doing. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you because I think you're doing incredible work uh, at the Loop Lab in Boston and, and, and connecting young people and training them up in this industry. It's a fantastic industry. And it's a great way to, to make a living and, and connecting them with, with employers that need their help. Absolutely. Um, if folks out there are interested in advancing equity work for young adults of color in the pro-AV space, please go to www.thelooplab.org. Um, my personal email, and not my personal, my business email address is chope at thelooplab.org. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you, brother. Uh, Charmaine, thank you. Thank you. So, Charmaine Torello, I'm a service manager, account manager at Verix, headquartered in New Jersey. I'm also the chairperson of the Avixa Diversity Council for the last two years. So, we're working on a lot of things. 
we have the commitment of Avixa to keep going and expand upon what we're doing. And we have the support and we're gonna get more of it. And Dave Labuskis is smiling because he knows that the plan of action that we're going to execute. So I wanna to say to everyone, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. I've had lots of conversations that you wouldn't believe until 2 a.m. Eastern time in the morning. I <laughs> to have even more. All right. Giovanni, thank you, sir. How do people get a hold of you? Um, people can find me, Giovanni Agramonti, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on the Art Media Corp. We provide professional AV services. And I'm also contracted by my wife under Mindful Solutions as a life coach. Very cool. <laughs> All right. If that. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, at, um, I'm trying to think of my handle, it's at IFSI um, or on LinkedIn uh, or the company that I work for, CDEC. Um, we, we have made some uh, brilliant progress in, in trying to um, recruit more people. Actually, that's a big issue for us in the UK, actually engaging people who want to work in the industry. Um, we're nowhere near where we want to be, but we're making, we're making those steps. So, um, happy to carry on with conversations as well. Um, and, um, thank you so much for involving me. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Labuskis, thank you, sir. How do people get a hold of you or, uh, or Avixa? Uh, yeah, thank you, Tim. And thank you everybody for letting me, uh, continue to learn. Uh, I, I can be, emailed at dlabuskis at avixa.org uh, and I tweet as David or at David Labuskis. Um, my tweets are my tweets. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I am uh, I'm the uh, chief student at Avixa, uh, looking and appreciating the opportunity to continue to learn and leverage that platform, which is all of yours to make this a better industry. And last but not least, my incredible editor in chief. By the way, she did she she bucked me on that title, uh, Lenore Lane. Thanks. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Lenore DSM. You can feel free to email me at lenore.aline at avnation.tv, and you can find me on LinkedIn under Lenore Aline. Very good. You know what, kids? Don't follow me on the Twitters, um, but um, go by the website. <clears throat> Lenore is our editor-in-chief, and she's done a fantastic job leading the charge. We have a brand new one, thanks to her. Um, so take, it, take a look at it. Uh, let, let her know how much uh, you like it. Um, but let me have, I'm going to say this, uh, and, and I've written some things, and I'm going to try to get through it, but my personal opinion um, and uh, is that we're humans, right? Um, there is nothing in this world that, um, that will convince me otherwise is that we are all human beings. We bleed the same. Um, we, 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 when we're scared, we do the same things. When we're in pain, we do the same things. Um, I mentioned the fact that, that, uh, and I don't know if I said this before or after, um, we started recording, so I'll repeat myself. Um, my family history and my family heritage um, is is a mixed bag. I am a, I am an American mutt, right? Um, and, and you can take that for what that's worth. But a lot of my roots are in or south of the Mason Dixon line, and so it's taken a number of generations 
Um, and I still have family members who think differently than I do when it comes to people of color, which, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, every little step, you know, every generational step helps, but we are all human beings. And the moment that we all treat each other as such, I think is, it will be a magical day, but y'all said it, it's a step. It's a process. It's one day at a time. And it's having weeks like this, uh, for me personally, where I have learned, uh, and I have listened before anything. And I guess if I can leave you with one thing is to do that, listen, listen first. Um, and if you're not in the minority, listen long because you'll learn something about yourself and about the people that you surround yourself with. So thank you so much for listening, uh, to this, uh, episode of AV Week. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, that is all the time we have for AV Week.